Isn't that a great lead in? I tell you, it just kind of lifts your spirits wherever you want to. Our, <clears throat> our team uh, that uh, creates these uh, just does a great job with that. Well, if you're a guest with us today, we're delighted that you've joined us this morning. If you're worshiping with us on SOCC.TV, we are grateful that you have joined us as well. We are in the series, Live Like Jesus. If we are going to live like Jesus to help other people live like Jesus, we have to know Jesus. And so we are in these key words that come out of John chapter 17. Today's word is pray. And the entirety of the chapter is itself a prayer as Jesus models for us what it means to pray. Now, usually when we talk about prayer, we talk about the mechanics of prayer or the imperative of prayer, and that's all well and good. But I'm going to suggest this morning that most of us in this room know that prayer is an imperative and it should be a priority and that we already know that talking to God is what prayer is all about and that we can pray or talk to him at any time of the day, any hour of the night, in any position, in any attitude, that prayer is just being in communication with the Father. And it should happen on a regular basis. So the problem with prayer as I see it is that we put it off. We just don't make it a priority. In our busy schedules, it often comes as the last entry on our do list. And if your do list is anything like my do list, I never get to the bottom of my do list. I never can get it all done. And so sometimes prayer finds itself unattended because we just don't make it the priority that we should. I was struck by a quote from the famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody who said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples to preach, but only how to pray. That's a humbling quote for me. In this sermon this morning, I want us to, take, to go through the busiest day in the life of Jesus according to the gospel accounts. I'm pretty sure this wasn't the only busy day that Jesus had, but I'm really grateful that we have a busy day in his life because when you get busy and when you get overwhelmed and you think, well, the Lord doesn't understand that. Oh, yes, he does. I don't know, but I'm pretty certain that it started like I think most every day in the life of Jesus started. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The Bible doesn't say he did that every day, but I'm pretty sure that he did it, if not every day, almost always. Um, whether he prayed at the same time every morning or not, um, I, it, it doesn't matter. Because I believe that Jesus saw every new morning as a spiritual adventure and prayer as the first chapter of that new adventure. Now, why should prayer be included early in our day? Well, because life can change in a heartbeat, and prayer sometimes prepares the way for those changes. For Jesus, this day that we're going to talk about in his life began with bad news. John the Baptist was dead, and I think that Jesus took the news pretty hard. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that not only were they good friends, not only were they cousins, they were, they were partners in this work, this message of redemption and salvation. And now Jesus finds himself alone in that 
mission. I don't think we're ever prepared for sad news. Sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that it won't happen to us. That happens to everybody else. But that's not true. It happens to all of us. The lingering illness of a child, the revelation of a spouse's infidelity, the discovery of a teen's addiction, the death of the one we love most in this life. It's not a bad dream, folks. It is the unexpected reality of living in a harsh, pain-filled world. John's followers found Jesus early in the morning. Grief-stricken, they poured out their hearts and their pain and their sorrow. Not the way that Jesus imagined the day would begin. Jensen Franklin wrote, he said, There comes a season in life when God gives no explanations, only promises from his word. Much of the journey to heaven must be made in the dark. Life is not fair, but God is just. Sometimes all you can trust in is the character of God. So what do we do? On those days in our life when suddenly we get news that knocks the props right out from under us. How do you handle those moments? Well, let me give you just a few suggestions, if you don't mind. Take time to cry. Take time to cry. Find a way to express your sorrow in a positive, helpful way. Being strong in your faith doesn't make you immune to sadness and tears. And living by faith doesn't suggest that you should not live with your feelings. And so when, when tough times call, when the bottom drops out of your life, cry. Get it out of your system. It helps healing. God created tears for that purpose, and Jesus cried. Cried at the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, knowing that momentarily he would raise Lazarus from the dead. But in that moment, overwhelmed by the power of grief and sorrow and death in this world, the price tag of sin, Jesus wept. So if Jesus can cry, you can too. Don't handle it alone. There's something else. Surround yourself with friends, people from the body of Christ who can encourage and support you. Now, I know there are a lot of people with good intentions that are socially awkward. You know, you know what I mean? They're the, they're the person that visits you at the hospital right before your surgery and says, you know, my uncle had that surgery. God bless him, but he died. You know, the worst thing in the world to tell you at that, don't surround yourself with those kinds of people. Choose your comforters wisely, but choose them. Do not grieve alone. When you grieve alone, your mind can go wild. And then pray and study. I like how Matthew records the actions of John's followers in Matthew 14. It says, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Isn't that cool? They took his body down. First thing they did after they buried it, they went and told Jesus. That's the perfect answer. Go tell Jesus. I'm always amazed at how Scripture also addresses our pain and our sorrow. The book of Job comforts. The book of Psalms inspires. The book of Proverbs instills wisdom. The Gospels point us to a loving Savior. Even the book of Revelation breathes hope into our lives. So pray and study in your heartache. Take time to cry, but don't grieve alone and spend time in prayer and study. Jesus was hurting, but he didn't have time to express or deal with that sorrow before an abrupt change occurred and I mean abrupt 
sometime before this day, Jesus had sent his disciples, the 12, off on a short-term mission trip. They were to go into communities. They were going to preach the gospel. And, and Jesus wanted them to find out what ministry was all about. And this is the day they come back. This is the morning they see Jesus. And they are exuberant. They have fallen in love with ministry. And they want to share with Jesus what they've learned. They are bubbling over. So here's Jesus trying to deal with his grief at the loss of this partner in ministry, John. And the disciples come back just overflowing. Now, when's the best time to pick up on, some, on the joy that somebody's experienced? It's right after they've experienced it. And they just can't wait to tell Jesus. I love to hear the grandkids talk about their favorite thing or something exciting that happened to them. But the best time to hear from them is right after it happened. You let hours or days go by and the enthusiasm just isn't there. Similarly, the disciples were thrilled with their ministry experience. They wanted to share the joy that they had with Jesus. And suddenly the atmosphere around the Lord shifts from sadness to jubilation. Now, the disciples needed to share their victories. Jesus wanted to hear about their victories. But boy, this was tough. This was one emotional roller coaster. Going from the lows to the highs, up and down it goes. On the Saturday of fall break... Uh, our family spent the day at Holiday World. Had a great time. We, ended up, we wanted to do something special with the kids and grandkids on fall break. And some of us ended the day with a ride on the roller coaster called The Legend. It's one of their wooden roller coasters at Holiday World. And I've always enjoyed roller coasters. And I really enjoyed that ride. But I'm telling you, it beat me to a pulp and rattled every bone in my body. I'm still feeling it a week afterwards. I've always liked theme parks, but I'll tell you this. I have never liked riding a, an emotional roller coaster. The ups and the downs, the highs and the lows of good news mingled with bad news. Jesus found himself facing the challenge of what Paul would later, would later write in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Boy, it is hard to make the shift between those two in a matter of moments. Let me ask you, which of the two is easier? Mourn with those with, who mourn or rejoice with those who rejoice? It's always easier to mourn with somebody who mourns. When somebody hurts, your heart goes out to them. But trying not to be envious or resentful with somebody else's joy, uh, that's another story. That's a bigger challenge. We can be so petty, can't we? Your coworker gets a promotion and you don't. Hooray. <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah. Your best friend just announced her engagement and you haven't even been on a date in a week or two or three. I'm so happy for you. Look. Tears of joy, <laughs> but they're not. You just come back from the bank after exploring student loans for your son when your neighbor hollers over the fence about his son getting a full-ride scholarship. That's great. <laughs> Here's the deal. Here's the deal. When we mourn, it makes us stop and think about what we have for which to give thanks. When we see the tough times in other people's lives, it makes us grateful for the blessings in ours. But when others rejoice, it often makes us resentful for what we don't have that they do. To be sure, 
at this moment. Jesus is writing the legend of emotion on this emotional roller coaster between tragic news, the tragic news shared by John's disciples, and the jubilant news shared by his own disciples. So here's our challenge for this week. Let's work on being good at both. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. And you say, how is that even possible? Well, listen to Paul's counsel in 1 Thessalonians 5. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me summarize it like this. Be intentional through your joy, in your prayers, and with your thanksgiving. Be intentional through your joy, in your prayers, and with your thanks. Now, if that wasn't enough, the morning gets even more complicated. By the time this is all happening, the crowds have discovered where Jesus is, and they were pressing in on him for help and healings and miracles and the kind of teaching that only Jesus could offer. Mark describes the following scene in chapter 6. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In a matter of a couple hours or less, Jesus experienced deep grief at his own loss, genuine delight over the disciples' success, and an overwhelming sense of chaos in the stress and the pressure from the crowds. From sorrow to joy to chaos. They couldn't even eat a bite of breakfast. Ever had a day like that? Can you relate to what Jesus is going through here? And you say, well, how did Jesus handle it? When the, when the crowd started pressing in with all the stress and all the demands. Are you ready for this? You know what Jesus said? No. Can Jesus say that? Yes. He did, and it was the right answer. Sometimes no is the best, most spiritual answer in our lives. When things become overwhelming, you can't handle anything well. And so Jesus said no to the crowd. He said, come on, guys, let's get to a quiet place, a, a place of solitude. Let's get some rest. And I'm, I'm quite sure that included prayer. Because when you find yourself in a quiet place with solitude, prayer is just the natural outcome of that. Let's go talk to the Father, man. Let's get away from here. And so the quiet place for them that day happened to be a boat. And they got in the boat, and they started over to the other side. Now, I'm, here I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus needed solitude and quiet and a time to rest and pray, do you think we'll be any different? I mean, if the, if the Lord of lords and king of kings needed that in his earthly life, you can bet we need it too. And I hope you will find some of that solace and some of that comfort here in this place among us. And you know what? I, I, I really think they took their time getting to the other side. I don't think this was a quick sail. I think this was a leisurely sail. I think they talked. I think they prayed. I think they rested. But guess what they found when they got to the other side of the lake? They're crossing uh, the, the end of the Sea of Galilee up here. And uh, it's a six-mile walk around sort of the northern edge from the, from the region of Capernaum all the way over to uh, Bethsaida, Julius. And so by the time they make landfall on the other side, the crowd has either walked or run, depending 
on, on the, the, the time factor, around the end of the lake, <laughs> and there they are on the other side. Jesus gets out of the boat, and they say, we're here. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, if, if that had been me, I would have been honked. I would not. These are the people I was trying to get away from. Here they are again. But Luke tells us, oh, Luke tells us that Jesus welcomed the crowd. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Jesus welcomed the crowd. And this Bethsaida Julius certainly fits the description in, in Scripture. It's, it's, uh, there's a hillside where Jesus probably would have st stood, and, and you have sort of this grassy plain below. Uh, it would, could easily have handled the 5,000 men. This doesn't count women and children. So there's a crowd here, folks, of approximately 15, maybe 20,000 people that have come to hear Jesus, and he welcomes that crowd. He didn't roll his eyes and sigh. He didn't scold the people for following him to the other side. He welcomed them. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. That was quite a walk around the end of the lake, wasn't it? So why don't you sit down on this grassy hillside here. Take a load off your tired feet. We'll spend some time together. Let me, let me tell you some things. Jesus had this remarkable ability to make people feel welcome in his presence. The time in the boat had rested him to a degree, but he was able to look beyond his own need and see the greater need of the people, and he took compassion on them, and he spent the rest of the day with the crowd. Boy, I love that about him. Let's stop thinking of such moments as inconvenient obstructions and see them as incredible opportunities. Had Jesus angrily dismissed the crowd, we would have missed out on two of the most powerful miracles in his earthly ministry. This interruption set the stage for the powerful intervention of God. And not only did he welcome the crowd, he engaged the crowd. He gave them what they truly needed, spiritual food. I see no reluctance on the part of Jesus. Was he tired? Well, I'm sure he was. Was he emotionally spent? I can only imagine how emotionally spent he was. And yet he taught all afternoon, several hours, and he fed them on God's word. Are we giving people what they really need in life? Are we helping them to learn to live like Jesus as we learn to live like Jesus by giving them God's word, God's son? By the time he stopped teaching, it was too late to send the crowd back on that six-mile trip around the end of the lake to the other side on an empty stomach. So Jesus had a plan here to test the apostles' problem-solving skills. And John chapter 6 records it for us. He said, Jesus said to Philip, he was one of the 12, said, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, folks, you can just see the blood drained from Philip's face as Jesus asks this question. You're looking at 15 to 20,000 people out here, and Jesus said, Philip, where are we going to get bread so everybody can eat? Now, it goes on, says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus said, where? And Philip answered him with, with money. He said, oh, Eight months' wages would not be enough bread for each one to have a bite. Jesus didn't say anything about money or how much it was going to cost. He just said, where are we going to do this? Poor Philip. He was so puzzled. All Jesus wanted was an answer like this. <laughs> Lord, I, I don't have a clue where we're going to get bread to feed everybody. But you do. You can do anything, Jesus. I'm going to watch you solve this dilemma. That's what Jesus wanted. What Jesus got was an incomplete math equation. You know, eight months, nine, nine months, I don't know. It's going to take a lot of wages for everybody to have a bite, and they won't even have a bite with eight months. 
Imagine telling the bread of life. You don't know where you're going to find bread. Why did Philip answer like that? Because in his mind, the situation was way beyond his pay grade and more importantly, his faith grade. I don't blame Philip. This was an impossible mission. Have you ever been there? Something just seems impossible. How am I going to get through this tough marriage or the difficulties I've got at work or my family struggles or a deteriorating relationship with my teenager or the death of my loved one? This is just impossible. I can't handle this. And we look at life and its impossibilities and we wonder, is there a way to get through? For all those times, for all those times in life when you say, this is just impossible, I can't get through. Will you remember this? Impossible is only the view from this side of heaven. John 6, verses 5 and following. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? (laughs) Nothing is impossible for the Lord. No mountain too high, no river too swift, no canyon too deep, no problem is too big for God. Period. When will we learn that the, that the Jesus who fed 5,000 plus that day is the same Jesus who lives in us and works through us? When will we learn that the God of the past for whom nothing was impossible is the same God of the present and the future? So when tough times come in your life, and they will, those horrendous, impossible moments. Remember, we serve a Lord for whom nothing Nothing is impossible. All he wants to hear is your trust. I don't know how I'm going to solve this, Lord, but you do. And you can because nothing is impossible for you. Now, I'm going to tell you that sometimes the answers aren't what we are looking for. That sometimes the answer seems like no answer at all. But here's where the trust comes in. God, you have an image of tomorrow. I don't. I can't see past this moment. You know what's best for my life, for my family's life. I trust you with all my future. And when you can do that, you'll be able to deal with the impossible days of life. The people sat down. Jesus took the snack the boy had willingly surrendered, offered a prayer of thanks. Here we go. There's the prayer again. And he fed the multitude. The leftovers were 12 baskets more than they'd started with. The the Bible doesn't tell us who got the leftovers. I'd like to know who got the leftovers. And i got to believe this. Those are the best leftovers ever in all of history. Imagine the electricity in the crowd. They had come spiritually hungry and had been filled by his teaching. They had gotten physically hungry during the afternoon, and they'd been filled with this miraculous gift. When the Lord does the impossible, people are encouraged, and there's always, always more than enough. Jesus never does anything halfway or almost or just okay. Have you seen any of those AT&T commercials about just okay? Uh, Here's one of my favorites. This is... Best, I think. (laughs) Have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? Oh, yeah. He's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. (laughs) 
Just okay <laughs> is not okay. <laughs> just okay is not okay. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus never does anything just okay. When Jesus does the impossible, it exceeds everybody's expectation. Maybe that's why this marvelous afternoon, this unique moment in time, maybe that's why this is the only miracle recorded by all four gospel writers. Except for the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle recorded by all four. Well, it's been a long day, but it's far from over. And after he'd provided food for everyone, the crowd wanted to take him by force and make him a king. So for the second time that day, Jesus said no to the crowd, slipped up into the hills to be alone and to pray. But before he went up in the hills, he sent the disciples back across the Sea of Galilee in their boat. Now, now let me make an observation here before I go on with the rest of the story. Have you noticed that sprinkled all the way through the day from the beginning of the morning to the evening, now nighttime, prayer has been a common thread. Very early in the morning, he got up and prayed. And then <clears throat> when they were going across the lake, it was to rest and to find peace and solace. And you know that included their prayer. And they got this meal and Jesus lifted his eyes and, and he gave thanks for the food. And he goes up into the mountains to pray. Here's my point, that prayer isn't some something we ought to do. Prayer isn't something that we ought to do just for five or ten minutes in the morning, and once we've got that done, we check it off our do list. Prayer is something that should permeate our lives as the day goes along. That wherever you are, it doesn't have to be with your eyes closed or you're on your knees. It's just being in communication with God and keeping the channels open all day long because you never know when something's going to happen. You need to talk to the Father about it. And that's what I see in this busiest day of the life of Jesus, that constant thread of prayer. So the disciples are on their way across the lake. And when they left, I don't think it was storming. I think it was pretty good. But one of the things about the Sea of Galilee is that it can erupt at a moment's notice with a storm because of the hills and the, and the lowness of it. And it is a huge lake. And they rode and they rode. They were about three and a half miles into their trip. And they were buffeted by the winds, Matthew says. And they were straining at the oars, Mark says. And they made it to the middle of the lake. Now, we think of the lake like Lake Monroe. There's, there again is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine being about halfway across that thing when this storm is erupting and it's the fourth hour of the, uh, of the watch. That means between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it's dark. It's a big lake. They are utterly exhausted. They are scared to death. They think they're going to die. Dale Carnegie wrote, he said, fatigue is often caused not by work, but by worry, frustration, and resentment. We rarely get tired when we are doing something interesting and exciting. These guys were exhausted because of the fear that they were experiencing. Now, we face frustration a lot of the time. <laughs> Maybe you feel like the driver of a delivery truck who steered with one hand and used the other hand to pound on the side of his box truck, explaining that he was transporting one ton of canaries in a half-ton truck, so he had to keep 50% of them in the air all the time. Does that feel like your life? You're carrying around a ton of burdens on a half-ton frame, and you are simply exhausted? I like the way the New Century Version translates Psalm 119.96. Everything I see has its limits. You do too. 
Life has a breaking point, and you will break if you cannot find some rest. So what's happening here on the sea? Jesus is up in the mountains praying. The disciples are straining the, at the oars. The waves are pounding them. The wind is blowing against them. They cannot make headway. These are the stormy moments of life. Every individual among us will face stormy, terrifying moments and it is so reassuring to know that Jesus never abandons us in the midst of the storm. Like the unpredictable weather on the Sea of Galilee, your circumstances can change in the blink of an eye. Jesus was reminding his disciples that wherever he sends you is the safest place you can be. They didn't feel it at the moment. But wherever Jesus sends you, when you are following him, he will never abandon you. Even in the midst of your stormiest moments, he will never abandon you. I love the way Mark records this portion. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? He come, we talk about him walking on the water. Have you ever noticed the fact that he was about to pass them by? It's almost like, you know, here they are straining at the oars. They're scared to death they're going to perish in the lake. And here comes Jesus. The waves and the wind aren't dawning him. And it's almost like he's ready to, hi, guys. Good morning. Good to see you. (laughs) There's something here that says you're straining at at the problems and the stresses and the storms of your life. But I want you to know, nothing is stopping me. Nothing has power over what I can do. What a vivid image. This was no ordinary person just outside the hull of their boat. He was nothing less than the God of the ages. Come to rescue his people. Don't forget your your storms, your troubles, your, your difficulties are never problems for Jesus. So in your stormy moments, look for him. Don't let him pass by. Call to him. Pray. We also see fearful moments when the, when the storms erupted. These guys knew that sea like nobody else. I mean, they were fishermen, and they knew how dangerous the sea could be. They are experiencing a fear of that storm. But what was worse was the fear of the unknown because something or someone was coming to them on the water. They could not understand it. They had a hard time getting a grasp. I don't know about you, but I'm far more afraid of things I don't know and I don't understand than the things that I do. And they, they didn't have a clue as to what was going on here. And it scared them to death. On ancient maps, cartographers drew what they knew to be true, but where they had no knowledge, as it got to the edge of the map of what they knew, they would write these words, Beyond here, there be dragons. That was the only thing they knew to explain. It's those unknown dragons that frighten the life out of us. I can handle the dragons I know. It's the dragons I don't know that scare me so. Max Lucado wrote, he said, fear at its center is a perceived loss of control. When I lose control, folks, that's when I'm afraid most. And it may be the very lesson that Jesus was trying to convey to the disciples and to us. You're not in control. You're not in charge, but I am. So trust me. Maybe that's why when he approached the boat, he cried out, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Aren't you glad he didn't pass him by? Aren't you glad he doesn't pass us by? Call to him in your stormy, fearful moments. Wherever he's led you, he will not abandon you.
And then we have these faltering moments. Matthew 14 records this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. don't, Don't be upset at Peter for his problem. Nobody else in the boat offered to get out. I wouldn't have got out. I wouldn't have even thought to ask. As a matter of fact, this is the first time in the whole day that Jesus is seeing the faith that he wanted to see earlier. Remember, he he just wanted the guy to say, you know, we can't feed this group of people, but you can. And this is Peter saying, Lord, if it's really you, you can help me walk on the water. I know you can. You can do anything. This is the faith he's been looking for. Peter is to be celebrated in this passage. Boy. And he walked. He walked on the water as long as he kept his focus on Jesus. Peter was living by 2 Corinthians 5, 7 before it was written. We live by faith, not by sight. As long as Peter walked by faith, he conquered the waves. It was when he took his eyes off Jesus and began to focus on the waves and the water and the winds that he began to sink and he cried out. He prayed. That's what he did. He cried out to Jesus. He prayed. And the Lord picked him up took him to the boat. They got in the boat. The winds and the waves grew instantly calm and they were home. They were home shortly. Here's here's what I want you to see. In this stormy, fearful life, when we falter, pray. And our Lord will calm the waves and he will still the winds and he'll take us home. This life is not an easy life, but he gives us hope. When you cry out to him, he'll get you home. There will be days when we'll be distracted by the storms. Fear will creep in. We'll take our eyes off Jesus. We'll begin to sink. And in those moments, you pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. And he'll be there to pick you up. Keep walking with him. Don't take your eyes off him. Don't ever stop trusting him. He'll calm the torrential winds that create such havoc in your life. He'll quiet the waves of fear, pain, and sorrow in our lives. And that's when we'll be able to proclaim just like the disciples in the boat. That's when we'll be able to proclaim, truly, you are the Son of God. We've been talking about praying today, so we're going to end with praying. What I'd like to ask you to do this morning is just take a few moments of silent prayer. And uh, <clears throat> then Tim and I will close. I want, you to talk, I want you to pray to God about your troubles. I want you to pray about your joys. I want you to pray about your fears. And I want you to pray about your victories in him. And Tim and I will lead you in those prayers. But take a couple moments just quietly and then we'll start to pray. Oh, Father, we face so many difficulties in this life. There are are so many storms and so many troubles and so many issues and so many concerns. There's so much chaos. There's so much distress. It is impossible for us, Lord. But we know it's not impossible for you. So in our troubles, in our trials, in our exasperation, Lord, help us to trust you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength.
Father, in the midst of those troubles, we pray that we would experience your joy. Joy is not something that we can work for, something we can run after, but it experiences us as much as we experience it. Lord, I believe it comes as we delve deeper into our trust for you. So I pray that, that you would take us places where we have to trust you. And then as we do, that we would experience you in the middle of it. See your hand working and let us, uh, let us know the joy of trusting you when we have nowhere else to turn. Heavenly Father, the fears of life are like dragons that we know and that we don't know, and uh, all of us in this room know what fear is. Some fears are greater than others, but all are paralyzing in some form or fashion. Father, we pray that you'll make our faith greater than our fears, that our trust in you, even when we cannot see, will get us through. So, Lord, fill us with an anticipation that you have our backs that you'll calm the winds and you'll calm the waves of our fears. And Lord, we pray this through the powerful, incredible name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.